Today's episode of Birds with Friends is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we are here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. To your mother, it's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a couple of feathery brethren weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like bacon, steaks, and cheese. It's Philadelphia, Boeing Shield in the cut, kicking it cooler than two penguins. Till Bo's old arch nemesis, Greg Cosell, shows up and it gets real. Pull up a branch and chill, it's time to get ill with some birds with friends. The early bird skips the worm and prefers getting turned like a turn on some birds with friends. Bo and are coming at you. With stats and things flapping their wings. You can't live up to expectations, so just do your best. <laughs> That's what I tell myself in most life endeavors. <laughs> just go with what you saw today. Okay, yeah. Change your opinion daily. Yeah, I'm all about that. For You'll sure. be wrong often, yeah. but then you can just point back to when you were right. No yeah. one will remember. No That's one's true. listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Birds with Friends. This is that Tuesday feeling. When we have another guest for the second straight day on Birds with Friends, Bo Wolf here, Zach Berman and Shilakapadia there, joined by the Duff man himself, Fran Duffy. Mr. Duffy, how are you? Uh, I am uh, fully clothed. I'm wearing pants. I'm wearing uh, wearing a shirt. It's uh, I'm ready to go, guys. I'm, ex- I'm excited for the podcast. No thigh? No thigh this time? Uh, eagle eye in the thigh is, uh, is taking the night off. Uh, we are a little bit more familiar with Fran than we were with Dane, so I feel comfortable asking Sheil, uh, how are you doing? Yeah, well, I was going to ask Fran about if he's wearing pants, not only from the uh, the Senior Bowl <laughs> photo. That was going to be my lead shrine, in. But... Shrine Bowl. Oh, Shrine. Listen, they're all the same to me. You know, I, uh, I, I don't go uh, further south than Maryland. So it's, no, I'm just kidding. Further uh, south but... than, than the thigh. But then uh, Fran also had the great tweet, uh, he and his uh, his wife and his son, where I was like, oh boy, they, they really did get dressed up for Easter, but it was uh, it was a great tweet. You saw the second photo, uh, some nice slippers. What were those pajama pants uh, you had on there, Fran? I had uh, I had on some, some shorts with some Game of Thrones uh, long socks. You know, what's funny is we both woke up that morning and I turned to her and I was like, you know what would be funny? And she said, if we did our Easter photos with a dressed up top and, uh, you know, pajama <laughs> clothes on the bottom. And I said, yes, exactly that. And so that's it. We like rushed out of bed, got the baby ready and knocked it out before anybody else uh, stole the idea. So that was good. Did you get any interesting texts throughout the day? Uh, we got a couple good ones, but, uh, yours in particular, I thought I uh, thoroughly enjoyed that uh, Bo was able to, to reenact and, and his was excellent. We returned the favor with the uh, with the, with the pajama pants on bottom and a uh, nice button down whoa, on top. Whoa, whoa, wait, what? Wait, you just sent it to Fran? And uh, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, you texted it to him. Texted it to him on the side. It was just a Fran. Did anybody else see this? No, this is just a Fran. He 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 started it. He's the one who gets to see it. Yeah, well, you're going to need to post that on uh, social media with this episode, and then everybody will be their interest will be piqued, and then they can uh, listen to the episode. There you go. Uh, and Zach, Mr. Berman, how are you? I'm doing well, uh, things considered, and excited for this podcast. What's uh, what's what's new in Berman world? Um, no, it's it's actually interesting that you were talking about the pajama pants thing because uh, 
so I was I was in jeans today, and and my oh, wife were, asked you, why you dressed down casual day for you. <laughs> no, no, but no, I had a. Uh, she asked why I was I was like 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 dressed in, in jeans. I had a a TV hit, and I didn't think that it would make sense doing. Like I just thought it would be odd wearing a jacket and um and a shirt with like sweatpants. So I put on jeans, <laughs> but uh, I, I should have gone pajama pants for the theme of the of the show here. Although I I don't believe I own pajama pants, so uh, I wow. could not pull that off. Shots fired Jeez. early yeah. on. Yeah. No, no, no. It's not, it's not shots fired. I'm just <laughs> Brooks' brother over here can't won't, won't slum it with a pajama pant. No, I, I I've been don't. wearing pajama pants eighty percent of the time. No, I have sweatpants and I have shorts. I, I I don't have like designated pants for sleeping in. Well, your loss, to be frank. My loss. Uh, okay. Uh, we have uh, we have draft stuff to talk about, and uh, Mr. Duffy, of course, is is as knowledgeable as it gets com- compared only to uh, to Dane Brugler, who we had on yesterday. So we're going to talk about uh, some some guys, some prospects, some positions. We're going to get into all of that. So uh, we will we will get right to it. And uh, before we get into the the main segment, which will be called as uh, as decided by reader vote crane of my existence uh let's talk just in general i think we have to start at at the receiver position where uh every eagles fan is interested uh fran what is what is your take on like the the depth the real depth of this class because um my opinion is that it is not really quite as deep like beyond the top 10 11 as we are being told like the guys who are you know mocked right now to go 12, 13, 14 off the board, like second, early third round are not super exciting to me. So, uh, as, as you have studied this class in comparison to past classes, do you think it is, is truly that deep? You know, I think that there, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. You know, I feel like maybe the, the depth of the class has probably been a little oversold overall, but I still think it's a really, really talented group and it's a really deep group. I mean, it's, it's not that it's a shallow group. There's plenty of talent, uh, and there are going to be guys that go on day three that, I know years from now, we're all going to be sitting here saying like, how the hell did this guy fall to the fifth round? Like, what were these teams thinking letting this guy fall to the sixth round or the fourth round? That, that's going to happen in this class. But it, just because of the pure numbers, uh, how many guys get selected, um, you know, the receiver position on average over the last 10 years, I mean, it's, it's 32 guys every year. I mean, there's going to be a lot of receivers that come off the board this year because my guess would be, you know, the average is 32. It's going to be getting up close to 40. I mean, there's, there's going to be a lot of guys that go off, uh, you know, in this draft. So, um, no, it, it is a very deep group. Certainly one of the strongest positions, if not the strongest position in this draft. So, uh, I would not say that it's an overrated group. I, I do think that there's plenty of depth and, you know, regardless of what kind of skill set you're looking for, I think you could find it in this class. But what was it like just to like steal that take from me? I mean, did, were you ever gonna, you what know, you talking about? mention anything about it? Or I mean, like it, it was like a week ago where we're previewing, and I'm like, you know what? You said I'm that, not... and I said I agree with you. Uh, now you're just starting off every interview with, hey, well, you know what? I don't want to hey, hey, speak Dane, for you, hey Fran. You know what I was thinking? This idea just popped in my head. I mean, come oh, on, please. this is ridiculous. <laughs> Soon he's gonna be telling Fran about his favorite D3 quarterback. <laughs> Well, with a name like Brock Rudder, how could you, how could I go wrong? Well, go ahead. Go you you give your take then. 
you what are you talking about? You just gave my tape. We heard from Fran. That's what Fran's okay. here. Well, for. we haven't had a chance. We we haven't had a chance to discuss this as a group yet. So well, you know, I didn't know that you. I didn't know you, you abandon positions all the time. Maybe you've uh, changed your mind. Well, I know that's right. No, I think it's. Uh, I think it's interesting in the many uh, many different shapes and sizes category. You know, I do think that you look at guys and I haven't gone through all the uh, day three picks, but I think the reason I thought that in the beginning was just looking at some of the guys in the first round, even where, you know, that top tier or whatever, you know, the top three are obviously uh, very good, but then you get beyond that. And then, you know, you can at least poke holes in some of the guys and maybe that's all that's happening. Maybe I just heard so much about how good the wide receiver group was. And then I said, well, all right, Justin Jefferson, you can say, uh, can he play outside or is he just in the slot? Uh, Chenault, you can say, uh, is he going to be durable enough? Uh, Hamler, uh, you know, size obviously there is an issue and he's in the slot. So as I was just going through, I guess when I was going in, I was expecting to see like a bunch of uh, guys who were kind of well-rounded, who didn't have uh, any questions about them. And it's sort of the opposite. It's kind of like in the eye of the beholder, what matters to you? Uh, What do you view as strengths and weaknesses? What do you view as sort of differentiating factors? Uh, That that's kind of what the uh, what the group comes down to for me. So maybe my position is different than yours, actually, because my position is I think that I think that like four to ten is impressive compared to past years. What what I think is overrated is like uh, you know you can get a you can get a second round quality guy in the fourth round this year or something like that. I think that the guys after you know the top ten guys who we who we talked about last week, I think those guys are not super intriguing to me. I'm that's just all. holding out for the 2021 class. So, well, I know, that's right. <laughs> that uh, was great. That was that. Was, I love that question. It was like Dane's head has just been filled with like <laughs> 700 prospects. The guy just wrote like 800,000 words, and and Bo and Bo was like signing off. And Zach goes, uh, "Just one more question: the 2021 <laughs> <laughs> the receivers next year." <laughs> Zach's already preparing to pass on receiver in the first round this year. But no, that's no, good, no, that, boy, that, uh, no. It's interesting as as you watch some of the top receivers this year, whether it's Justin Jefferson, whether it's Jerry Judy, whether it's T. Higgins, and like you, if you watch their games, the the other receivers on the field uh, are arguably better than them on each team. Now, I don't think that's the case with Alabama. I think Jerry Judy's pretty special, but I mean, he wasn't their leading receiver last year, for instance. So, in all three of those cases, there are elite receivers on the field with them. Yeah, that's well, true. That's a good uh that's a good transition because we should ask Fran. Now, I'm not good at plugging this because I I just presume that everyone who listens to Birds with Friends is is in uh, intimately familiar with Fran, but of course you can listen to him on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast and the Journey to the Draft podcast and you can read him on philadelphiaeagles.com. But Fran, what number are we at for how many guys you've watched? Ooh, uh I could tell you right now. The number right now is Drum roll as I scroll down here a little bit. Uh, 321, give or take. 321. And what's the record? Uh, I have have no idea. Uh, C-Mac asked me this like uh, last year, so I'm sure he'll ask me again uh, next week, but uh, I'd have to go back and check. Okay. Uh, So did you want to ask your question about the receivers, Shiel? Not really. Let's get to let's get to some guys. <laughs> All right, crane of your existence. Yeah. All right, crane of my existence. So so uh, the the point here is uh, we're going to bring up some guys who maybe we don't love or we uh, have serious questions about, 
And I think this is a perfect job for you, friend, because you have watched all these guys and, you know, it is, it is your job to see the glass half full. So uh, I'm going to start with a guy who, uh, fits the mold for me of like why I don't love the second or third tier of receivers in this class. Um, Michael Pittman Jr., the receiver from USC, who is a senior, has been like just okay productive. I don't see much upside with him at all. And yet I see him being talked about as like an early second round pick possibility. Uh, you know, the next best guy of this class of receivers. Sell me, try to sell me on, on Michael Pittman. Well, I, I think to me, like, and that's why I almost never try and get caught up, like overly caught up with where a dra- guy is going to get drafted and where he ranks in the pecking order. Because, you know, to me, like my big thing in watching these guys is trying to figure out like, all right, what are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? Shield mentioned it earlier. Like they all kind of have, they're all going to have their, their flaws, right? Because otherwise all these guys would be the number one pick. So all of the guys we're going to talk about tonight, all of them have issues that are going to, you know, for some people are going to knock them down and, and other people are going to say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Let's bo- let's boost this guy up the board. So to me, I look at a guy like Michael Pittman Jr. And I see a player who's 6'4", who's 223 pounds. He ran sub 4'5". He's not a stiff going in and out of breaks. This isn't a guy that, you know, really labors uh, as a route runner and has uh, trouble, you know, creating separation. I mean, he gets in and out of breaks fairly well. To me, the big thing you like with Michael Pittman is is this. Two seasons, right? Now, now remember, last year, I mean, he caught over 100 balls. He was a finalist for the Blitnikoff Award as the top receiver in college football. Over the last two seasons, he has not dropped one uncontested throw. Not one bad drop for this kid in the last two seasons. So you're talking about a player who's really, really consistent at the catch point. He's a big body. He's tough. He's a good blocker. He does a lot of that stuff really, really well. He's a great special teamer. So right away, you're saying, okay, high floor and come in plug and play as a high floor player. And now, okay, what can we build on on top of that? So, you know, if this guy goes in the third or fourth round, you feel, all right, that's pretty good. If you feel, if he goes in the second round, obviously that team feels, okay, we, we can bet on this guy's upside, we feel like this guy can turn into, uh, you know, a, a Vincent Jackson type of, you know, possession receiver outside the numbers, be able to work vertically. When he averaged 18 yards a catch two seasons ago, and then last year he blew the doors off of that. I mean, he was the only guy I saw all year who torched that Utah defense uh, through the and I game. It was a Friday night early in the season. That defense is full of NFL player, NFL prospects. And he you know, left them in the dust. He was outstanding in that game. So to me, I look at Michael Pittman Jr. and I say, okay, you're betting on his size, his surprising athleticism for that size, outstanding hands, ball skills, ball tracking ability, all of that. And then also the high floor, the toughness, the, the blocking, the special teams aspect, all that stuff. So you feel like, okay, you feel safe about what his floor is. And now you're betting on what the ceiling can be as well. The hands thing is always uh, very interesting to me because I believe there have been, uh, you guys can correct me if, if I'm wrong about this or if you've heard the same, but I, I feel like, uh, you know, the studies or people who have looked at this have basically said guys who have a lot of drops in college, that's not something that typically, you know, improves to a great degree in the NFL. Like it, it does sort of carry over. Am I, is this ringing a bell or no to anybody? Uh, that's ringing a bell. Okay, it's ringing a bell. So, so yeah, that that part is interesting. But then I also look at uh, you know a guy like uh, Jalen Rager who did have issues with drops, but then when you watch him, he's making like these spectacular catches 
which just count as cat. I almost feel like there needs to be another category to, you know, it sort of evens out the drops because he's yep. making these great catches that uh, nobody else does. But certainly that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, give me the guy who can get open and drops it a couple of times over the guy who uh, struggles to get open, but catches everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would uh, agree with it. Now, am I allowed to move on to the next guy, Bo? Or how, yeah. how does this? Work? Okay. I mean, I'm not so I'm not fully sold on Michael Pittman, but Fran did as good a job <laughs> as I think anybody could do. I, mean, I still I still don't want the guy. But... Well, let's hear your. I want to hear your take. He on mentioned him, the game for you. Like, like that's how specific that scouting report was. He told you. I said no one could USCN. do a better job than than Fran could do, but I'm still. I mean, I'm stuck in my priors. I don't like I don't like senior uh, guys from big schools. I don't see much upside here. It, it's not a special athlete. I think he's probably maxed out. Like I don't, I don't see how he's going to get much better in the pros. So uh, that's why I'm out on him. But like, if you're if you're telling me you're drafting like, uh, you know, KJ Hamler at the end of the first round or something after a trade down, and then you're drafting Michael Pittman, like that combination makes a little bit of sense to me. But if you're if you are drafting him as like the answer at receiver, that's that's pretty uninspiring. That Friday night, that uh, I, I think it was the Eagles Lions weekend. So, so we were home. Uh, do you, was that a game you were watching? The Utah USC game. Yeah, that it was that game, and, and he went. I mean, I think it was like double digit catches, over two hundred yards, a couple of touchdowns. I mean, I, I didn't see anybody all season long. I ended up watching Utah live, a, you know, five, six, seven times uh, with the newborn this fall, you know, the, my, my limit, my viewing, my, uh, my viewing habits for college football changed a little bit. So the, uh, the late night Pac-12 stuff I, I caught a lot of. And so watching that well, Utah that's good, team, obviously most of the teams in the NFL are not watching those games. It's too late at night. <laughs> well, uh, you, you, you look at, you look at that Utah defense, it, not, not many players were able to do what he was able to do against them last fall. I know. I know. Fran was watching. I. I was curious if. if yeah, you were asking Bo, right? Yeah, well, I, I wasn't watching. Now was that was that against? Was he like head to head against Jalen Johnson in that game? No, Johnson. I believe spent most of his time on the other side. Um, and so yeah, he. It's not like he torched Jalen Johnson the entire time, but still, I mean. Like I said, nobody was able to do what he was able to do, especially with a backup quarterback as well, because uh, the their starter got hurt on their opening series. I feel good about the, uh, you know, we're, we're doing a piece on the second tier wide receivers for next week. And I feel like my, my notes were pretty much, uh, aligned to a degree with Fran there. I said a, a high floor, uh, prospect. I thought most likely a rotational possession receiver, uh, you know, like a, a wide receiver for, for, unless you kind of get that upside. So I think the upside, uh, you know, that, that's kind of what you're looking at with him, depending on, uh, on when you're going to take him. He did have some injury issues, according to Dane Brugler's, uh, draft guide, where he dealt with a broken collarbone, a hand injury, a high ankle sprain, a broken nose, and a, sh- and shoulder surgery, uh, in college. So man, that, uh, that does sound painful. But the guy I wanted to get to is also sort of in this, uh, next tier. And that is, uh, Zach brought his name up once last week and, uh, Bo really scoffed, uh, scoffed at it. So I want to hear what you say about uh chase claypool who is uh six foot four 238 ran a 442 when i was uh i wa- was watching one of his games it really uh when i was watching it felt like you it was like a really athletic tight end out there just sort of the uh way he's built i know uh, he doesn't like that uh, i was looking at some athletic comps just to see a guy who's 230 pounds like what types what receivers at that weight have had success uh it really came down to um, Vincent Jackson was like the, the one 
comp of a guy that size who had a good career. And then David Boston is sort of another story. You, you probably don't want to go down uh, that route, route if you're uh, if you're a wide receiver prospect. And then the third was uh, was Kelvin Benjamin. But uh, Fran, what are what are your thoughts? Or I guess convince us of uh, Chase Claypool being a, a good prospect. Did I do that right, Bo? Is that how I'm supposed to leave? Yeah, convince us. Crane of my existence. You got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I feel you know with Claypool, it's a lot of the similar conversations. You know, this is a guy that um, maybe a little bit more versatile in terms of how he was used. He lined up in a couple different spots than Pittman and how he was used. But, uh, you know, look, this is a guy that tested like an absolute freak show out in Indianapolis. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, why isn't he working with the tight end group when he went down to Mobile for the senior bowl? Why wasn't he working with the tight end group? This guy should be a tight end. He's coming from Notre Dame. He should be a tight end. And he goes and he tests, like I said, he tests like a freak show. He runs 4-4 flat at 238 pounds. Uh, he jumps out of the gym. He didn't do the shuttles. Um, but this is a guy that uh, tested extremely well. And you watch him. I remember watching him as a junior, made some really, really athletic grabs, you know, going to the ground, going up and over people, uh, you know, showed really good awareness along the sideline to keep his feet in bounds and make some tough catches. Uh, like Pittman, didn't have any uncontested drops uh, back then in 2018 as well. Um, play strength. He's got the ability to win at the point of attack as a block. I mean, he's a 238 pound, eight pound wide receiver. I mean, this is a guy that's got size. He can dominate people on the perimeter, um, you know, for a guy that size. So to me, uh, I think you look at Claypool and when you're talking about his projection, it's kind of similar to Pittman in that, you know, you're talking about a guy who's got that high floor because again, with that athletic profile, you've kind of cemented yourself that you could be plug and play to come in and be able to play special teams and be a fourth receiver active on game day. No question about it. You're, you're not winning any feelies anytime soon. So to me, like, you look at Chase Claypool, uh, you're, you have that high floor. And then with that athletic testing, now you're saying, okay, let, let's see if we can get the ceiling out to where that testing shows it could be. Do you think he can play on the outside? You know, I think that he was used that way, you know, at Notre Dame. Um, you know, he lined up at both X and at Z. So he got some reps in the slot as well. You could see reps where he would lined up on the wing. I mean, he was used in a couple different ways. I like him a little bit more, uh, closer to the, closer to the, uh, to the formation, but. Look, he, I mean, he's shown, and with that athleticism, man, I mean, he ran 4-4 flat. And I, I do think you see some of that speed uh, on Philly. It's not as evident, but I still think that you see some of that. I do think he can line up uh, on the outside and do some work. Yeah, he was faster than I uh, was anticipating when I, because I, I don't think I looked at the 40 time at first and uh, I was like, all right, this is going to be, and I knew Bo had just made fun of him. So I was like, all right, here's going to be this big lumbering guy who like, who can't move. But he, I actually thought he, uh, he ran better than I was uh, anticipating on the field. And uh, to Fran's point, he had 25 tackles on special teams, according to uh, Dane, uh, Dane's draft guide. I know that's not like Matt Collins on steroids. Okay. Well, like, like actually taking steroids or like, uh, like well, a natural. I'm not, I'm not casting okay. that aspersion, but. Okay. You know, good. Like, yeah, if Matt that. Collins did take steroids, he would beat Chase Claypool. Okay. I didn't know if you were breaking news or something, uh, right there. So. <laughs> All right. So what are you convinced? Me? Yeah. Well, he was your guy. Well, for all of these, like, where am I taking him? Who else yeah, did sure, I get? Sure. You know, like, uh, if, if he were the only wide receiver that the Eagles got, I would not be uh, happy about that. If you got him in, like, the, I mean, I, I don't even know where he's supposed to go. Uh, uh, like, the, it what? sounds like second round, like late second round, early uh, third uh, round, probably. Uh, like- I, I probably wouldn't be excited about that. I, I think maybe, like, uh, you know, if you get him in, like, the fourth round and he's your second wide receiver you got, then I think that would be, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's fine. Uh, a fine use of uh, 
draft picks, but it's, uh, I don't know. It, it's going to, it's going to be one of the most fun parts about the, uh, draft. And, and Fran, I don't know if you have like a, a sense talking to people, but like I saw Gil Brandt today put out his top 10 and he had Denzel Mims as his 10th overall player. And it just, it just his feels tenth like overall player, 10th overall player. It was crazy. So it just feels like people, uh, are all over the board with this wider, these wide receivers. I think it's going to be really fun, especially in the first three rounds to see, you know, there's going to be some probably jaw droppers with like the, the order that some of these guys go in. Can you remember anybody like the helium draft wise of, of Denzel Mims? I feel like there's guys like that every year, but. I, I always kind of flush them and, and move on to the next year. So I uh, never quite remember. But I, look, I mean, he's a guy that every step along the way, I, you know, I've watched this kid for the last three years, going back to his sophomore season. Uh, he's gotten better on the field every single year. Uh, you know, to me, uh, you know, watching him over the last couple of seasons, I had heard about him. I knew a lot, of, a bunch of people uh, on that staff down in Baylor. And, um, you know, so I, I had been watching him over the last couple you. of seasons and, and he really grew on me. The more, the more I watched, uh, you see a guy that can, to me, like his best trait, is his ability to go up and his bo- his body control at the catch point. Not just, oh, yeah, like winning a jump ball, but just the way that he's able to kind of contort his body, adjust to a throw. Uh, the quarterback play was kind of up and down. He had some young guys going in and out of the lineup over the last couple of years. But his ability to just kind of contort his body, reel in passes away from his frame were really, really impressive. Um, you know, he's got that track background. I did, especially early in his career, I didn't always see that speed on the field. But I thought, again, this year as a senior, things started to click and you started to see a little bit more of that uh, of that speed t- start to translate. He goes to the Senior Bowl, has a good week, goes to the Combine, he runs 4-3-4 and over 200 pounds. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, good, a, a lot of upside. So, And that, that's why I go back to what we were talking about in the very beginning. Like When you look at the receiver class, yeah, like we all talk about Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and CeeDee Lamb up 1-2-3 in some order. It wouldn't shock me if there are teams that say like, oh yeah, I like Jalen Rieger uh, more than Henry Ruggs, or I like Justin Jefferson more than C.D. Lamb, or I like Denzel Mims more than C.D. Lamb. You know, I, it would not shock me if there are going to be some of those guys, whether it's Brandon Ayuk, K.J. Hamler, uh, you know, a bunch of those guys uh, that you kind of throw in there, T. Higgins, and say, yeah, this guy's in my top three, or he's in my top four wide receivers in this class. That's no, a I terrific don't- transition. Oh, I'm sorry, Shield. Go on. Well, well, I was I was just going to say really quick. I don't know if uh, in this photo that Bo is going to post on social media if he was wearing a black tux, but uh, if not, Ooh. maybe he could save that for next year because the black tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the black tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they are not alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code Birds. That's the blacktux.com. Code BIRDS for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux formal wear for the moment. All right, Zebram, what were you saying? I was I was saying so as as Fran was going through the subjectiveness or the subjectivity, I guess I, I guess, of this wide receiver group, he mentioned KJ Hamler. That is the player that I need to be convinced on here. What's the name of the game again, Bo? 
You Creative don't have to my ask him that. Yeah, just ignore Creative it. Creative my existence. Um, this, is, this, is, this is voted on by the <laughs> listeners. This is, an, yes, this exactly. is important. I, would, I mean, uh, to me, like, if I, if you don't mind jumping to me, like, a lot of people would say the name of the game is speed, and that's what KJ Hamler brings. I like that. There. So, so from, so for anyone who, uh, who read our, our breakdown of, of the top 10 receivers or, or the, or the 10 that, that, that we broke down and then we talked about on the pod, of the three of us, I was, uh, probably the, the lowest on, on KJ Hamler. I'm probably the lowest in general, but the lowest on KJ Hamler. That was a joke, a height joke. Uh, <laughs> Good, low man, low man wins. So, so uh, sell me on the, the the lowest one in this group. Uh, another height joke. Sell me on yeah. on, on on KJ Hamler. Yeah, to me, like I look at KJ Hamler and I go back to 2018 Ohio State. Uh, you know, Zach, I know you're a big college football fan. I'm sure you saw the play, but you know, the quick slant that he took when they're backed up, I think it was 87 yards, uh, that he took to the house and he outran that Ohio State secondary, which, you know, you're talking some guys with legitimate juice, not just, uh, guys like Jeff Akuda, but, you know, you put, throw on the field Kendall Sheffield who ran in the four threes. You throw in, uh, some of the other guys they had in that secondary, uh, a couple of years ago. You know, KJ Handler's got outstanding speed. You see that not just, you know, vertically, but also, you know, laterally. His ability to get in and out of breaks, uh, he's really twitched up. He can get in and out really, really impressively. Uh, had some of the best routes that I've seen, uh, all season long, uh, watching that Penn State film this year. Yards after catches outstanding. So, you know, if you're talking about, all right, well, can this guy be an X factor? I mean, Tyreek, he is a far better prospect than Tyreek Hill was coming out, uh, you know, oh, when, when he was coming out a few years ago. And you know, Tyreek Hill was a, well, a, a fifth round pick. And there, were, the field, there, were, other, too, there were other issues there, but, I, you know, and that's why he fell a little bit. But to me, like, you look at KJ Hamler, uh, you know, this guy's got the athleticism, he's got speed, you know, his yards after catch. He's, he's just very, very small. And so you're going to have to kind of work through that. Um, but I think he's shown the ability to track the ball over his shoulder, vertically down the field. Uh, and then obviously, like I said, his ability to create with the ball in his hands. The thing is, and going back to the discussion we had earlier, you know, you're going to have some of those big plays, but you're also going to have uh, some of those drops as well. And that's something you do have to deal with. Um, but I think it's kind of, you know, if you go back to, uh, you know, and, and, Oh, you may enjoy this. Uh, considering your favorite podcast is your baseball podcast, um, you know he's your—he's uh, a home run hitter. You know, you go back to like uh, Ryan Howard. I think when you look at uh, you know that kind of a player, yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have the the long ball, but you're also gonna have a, a couple of strikeouts as well. And I think when you look at KJ Hamler, that's the kind of receiver he is. He's got that ability to be a game breaker. If he had outstanding hands. We wouldn't be talking about him at the end of the first round. He'd be a, a top 10, top 15 pick. Um, but since there are issues with his hands and since he is on the smaller side, not even on the smaller side, since he is very small, we're talking about him late one, early two. Is, is he able to play on the outside? You know, one thing about Tyree Kill is, is, is you can play him at the Z. Is, is, is that how you see Hamler being used or is he, a, uh, is he more of a slot guy? I think if you've got elite speed, then you can line up anywhere. That's that's the way I look at it. To me, like he's got the ability. You know, you might not want to say like, all right, we're gonna gonna put him, we're gonna put him at X, um, and have to deal with you know press corner and things like that. But if you're gonna say, okay, he's gonna be a Z, he's gonna line up off the ball, uh, he's gonna have a little bit more space to be able to operate. Yeah, I definitely think he can be able to work outside and, and be able to make some plays vertically down the field. What do you see from uh, speaking of, of like uh, beating press? I'm always uh, wondering about this. So like, uh, you know, these the smaller guys, like like say a Deshaun uh, Jackson, and I know you watched him earlier in his career, and now you've watched him now. Like, how does a guy like that 
beat press so effectively. Our corner's just like afraid that if we get up there and we take one bad step, he's gone. Or is it is it technique? Like you know, if, if they were if KJ Hamler was saying like, all right, how do I get better at this so I can play outside? Like, what's the uh, instruction manual for a guy that size? Yeah, I think you know when overall when you're talking about press, you know, beating the jam as a receiver. You know, beating the jam starts from the ground up. You know, so against press, you want to see a receiver be able to win with his feet. You know, show that quickness to be able to beat the defensive back off the line of scrimmage. And you know, even better, I'd like to be able to see guys win uh, with his upper body as well. You know, can he use his shoulders to get skinny? Uh, you know, kind of limit the surface area for their corner to be able to land a jam. Uh, can he gain ground? You don't want to see a guy uh, work too laterally from sideline to sideline. You want to see him gain ground vertically, attack upfield. Um, but so to me, when you look at a guy like you know that's a little bit smaller. All right, you're, you, you want to be able to see that quickness, and KJ Hamler certainly has that. Deshaun Jackson certainly has that. Tyreek Hill certainly has that. So you know, you're talking about that short area burst. Now it's about making sure that you kind of, uh, you know, they call it skinny the surface area, right? So re- kind of reduce your, ch- you know, hide your chest. Don't let the uh, defensive back get a good jam on you. If you're able to do that, and obviously when you have long speed, that's why you've just kind of to flip the the side of the ball for when you're talking about press corners. Oh, this guy's a great press corner just because he's big and he's long. Well, if a corner can't run you don't want him playing in press because if he gets beat he's toast he's got no ability to recover that's why you play him in off coverage he's got a little bit more time uh, to be able to you know overcome some of that but I think when you're talking about being able to beat press coverage speed and short area quickness certainly has a lot of that you want to be able uh, to see a guy who has the foot quickness I remember talking with Mike Quick about this a few years ago and asking would you rather see a guy who's great with his feet at the line of scrimmage or great with his hands he said, I'd rather see a guy who's great with his feet um, because you can you can work on the hands. You're not going to get a guy who's going to you know, get, a, get mm-hmm. too much better with his feet at the line. So uh, to me, I, I look at K.J. Hamler. Uh, he's got the ability. He's got that foot quickness uh, to be able to win quickly. Hide your chest is the old uh, boys don't cry maneuver. Um, my my follow-up is, is sort of the flip side of that, and that is uh, Justin Jefferson, who I like. I think like all the – he checks all the boxes. It seems like the safest bet to me. But um, sell me on the idea that he can win on the outside because we know he was so successful on the inside this year. And then uh, beyond that, like, how do you evaluate um, a guy when the offense is like so clearly more talented at every position than the defense? Like, you know, that LSU offense obviously had had Burrow and Jamar Chase and Clyde Edwards. Healer, who is, I think, my favorite player I've watched so far. He's me he's, too. Uh, he's awesome. Yeah, I agree. Hundred percent. Well, he's, I, awesome. he's like he's like one of the people I watched like a lot during the college football season. And every game, I'm like, wait a minute, why isn't this the top ranked running back oh, yeah. uh, coming out? Like, this is the guy I want. What can't this guy do? I mean, <laughs> it, I was watching. Uh, we like McKinney, uh, but I was watching that game, and there was like that play where. Uh, they were at like the two yard line or something and McKinney was coming untouched and he like flies, you know, down upfield like a missile and Edwards Hilaire just put this spin move on him and basically like, you know, walked backwards into the end zone. I'm like, give me some Edwards Hilaire. Uh, if we can't, if we can't uh, agree on an official wide receiver of Birds with Friends this year, I think we just yeah. make it Clyde Edwards Hilaire as the, as no the way. official player. No <laughs> way. I'm throwing no all way. my DeAndre Swift is uh, from uh, uh, no, the <laughs> Okay, listen. The best listen. running back in this draft played at St. Joe's Prep. That's your answer. That's uh, that's where he was. I will throw away all of my don't take a running back early takes for uh, for Edward Hilaire. You can take him with like the I totally eighth, agree. Eighth, eighth pick as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> 
I totally agree. So anyway, uh, Fran, on Jefferson, but also on like you know, and even in the Alabama offense, like how how do you take into account how like, like the disparity in talent when when stuff like that is going on? To me, I think it's kind of similar to the discussions you have when you're watching, um, you know, in terms of that second part of that question, where you're talking about a player at a smaller school where, like, man, like this guy's just so much better than everybody else on the field. I think when you're looking at an offense that was just as dominant as they were, you kind of have to put the blinders on and just kind of watch the guy and evaluate him in a vacuum and, and see, all right, what is this guy doing that can translate to the NFL? Because, again, when you're watching guys in college, it's not just – Oh, look, you know, look at what he did here. This is what's going to, he's going to do the same thing in the NFL. It's not apples to apples. It's more, you know, what did he do in college that will now translate to the NFL? And there is some projection involved with that. Uh, now with Justin Jefferson, there's not a lot of projection that uh, really that you're not need to do because this guy does everything at a very high level. His, his ball skills are outstanding. His route running is really, you know, second. If you're going to say he's second to anybody, it's Jerry Judy. Um, but everything he does is with a purpose. Um, just a really, really methodical player. You can tell his thought process, his mental processing, really, really impressive. Um, his line, yeah, he lined up inside last year in the slot, but you go back to the year before, uh, certainly lined up on the outside and, and had success, obviously in a different offense, right? So the numbers aren't going to wow you, but it's not like it was the same system. It's not like Joe Burrow was operating at that same level two years ago. So, uh, you know, you got to take the production and kind of put it aside. But uh, this is a player who's still young. He's 21 years old. He ran better than people expected. He he tested overall better than people expected. You know, going on film reminded me a lot of Keenan Allen, uh, who has been a really, really good pro uh, for the LA Chargers. Um, a guy who's won one inside, he's won outside, but uh, one of the savviest uh, players at the receiver position with his ability to not just beat the jam and win off the line, but you know, win mid route and just his so so consistent at the catch point. Very, very few balls ended up on the ground with Justin Jefferson. Uh, he wins over the middle of the field. He's tough. Uh, the yards after catches there. Just a smooth, smooth player. So, um, you know, to me, I, I look at Justin Jefferson and say uh, a very, very easy transition to the NFL. I think that's going to be interested with interesting with sort of uh, like uh, I think he's a guy who could go like a lot higher than even anybody is expecting because I, I do think there's sort of a I don't know if it's like a unconscious bias or what it's sort of like natural but if you're an NFL scout and you're watching him it's it's like what Fran said you can very easily say all right I can picture this guy in the offense that we run with the quarterback that we have and he's going to uh, tear it up. And I mean, I don't know if that's right, right or wrong. It's probably like you should probably try to account for that a little bit in the uh, scouting process. You know, I think we were saying before, you know, picturing some of these other wide receivers trying to go through the exercise of, hey, if Jalen Rager, if Denzel Mims, if these players were on LSU in that offense with Joe, with, uh, Joe Burrow last year, what would their production have looked like? You know, would they be consensus, whatever? Um, so I think that's going to be uh, uh, an interesting thing that people are going to have to balance. Uh, Zeberm, do you have like an all, what would like the all Philly draft class be? <laughs> It'd be like uh, Cesar Ruiz, right? Well, he the, buried Cesar Ruiz today. That's right. No. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I forgot about that. Camden's own. Wow. I did did not bury him. Did not bury is it, him. Is it an anti-Jersey uh, thing? Like, is the is is the state delineation an important thing in the Zeberm rankings? No, because for seven years at the Inquirer, it was our it was our coverage area. Now, now Delaware kind of got the shaft, so to speak, because like Wendell Smallwood wasn't considered in the coverage area. David Sills wasn't considered in the coverage area, even though Martin Frank had him covered. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, DeAndre Swift is 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 the premier Philly player in this draft. Ruiz uh, certainly up there from across the way. But uh, yeah, definitely. Who's number uh, definitely three? Definitely DeAndre Swift. Uh, Fran, who's number three? Uh, who would you say? Uh, let's see. I mean, I, I know Jawan Johnson, the Oregon receiver, is from Glassboro. So, uh, you know, from Corey Clement's hometown. Um, I think here. I, I know there's a, a handful of other guys that are uh, from around. Oh, you know what? The, uh, the the Ohio State offensive lineman, Jonah Jackson, oh, is yeah, from, Jonah uh, Jackson. from media. Yep, oh, exactly. Oh, really? Yeah, I kind of yeah. like Jonah Jackson. Well, what high school yep. was he? Uh, he went to Pencrest uh, High School. Really? Yeah. Oh man, that's where the Capadia girls are. Uh, <laughs> really? Be, uh, headed in many years. Oh, I gotta look this guy up. Oh, we transferred from we Rutgers. Gotta, yeah. We gotta dig in on John Jackson. I liked uh, him at the Senior Bowl. All right. Well, you know, I who think I'm he makes sense for the Eagles. Yeah, I'm he was in a uh, mock draft this this week or or last <laughs> or last week as a guard center versatility guy. I like him. I like it. Yeah. Uh, I will have him as my uh, pick for the Eagles at number 21 in uh, next week's uh, <laughs> mock, draft, mock draft. There's uh, there's no doubt about it. Oh, and the, you know, John Reed, the, Penn, the Penn State corner, is, yep. uh, he's from right across the bridge as well. Yeah, he and and, and then John Runyon Jr. Sure. Uh, uh, Yasir Durant from Missouri yeah, is, a, a uh, is a Philly guy. So, and it's, Zach it's, Berman's it's still like, hoping to get his name called. Ah, I would not count on that. My eligibility expired a while ago. So. Yes. All right, I've got one. If if you guys, unless you guys yeah, have I think one, that, maybe we here. can move off from the receivers. If that's yes, what got. I, yeah. I I've got a non-receiver. Let's do uh, it. Uh, this was uh, in your text, Bo, but I, I I definitely had this guy on my uh, list. Yator, uh, am I saying that right? Yator. I believe I feel it's like Yator. Oh, I thought Dane said like Eator, like he did something uh, different yeah, there. Yeah, he the dominated first name. that name. I, I think he went. Yeah, he did, right? Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, he did. Fran, do you know what the? Uh, My correct? understanding of it is that is Yator. Yator. Okay, well, uh, Dane putting his own spin on it. Good for him. Uh, let me find. You know, Dane has the pronunciations in his. Oh, guide, he does. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me. So see anyway, Yator Gross Matos from uh, Penn State, defensive end. Very productive. Uh, this is a, a player that I did watch, and I, you know, I was kind of like uh, very much on the fence with him, thinking, you know, I, I don't know if I really like this guy. But then you look at the production and the size, and you can see why he would be attractive to uh, scouts and NFL teams. So, Fran, sell me on uh, Yitor Gross Matos. It is Yitor. It is Yitor. That's that's what I thought. Uh, to me, I think you look at a guy like Gross Matos. This is a guy who's six five. He's over two hundred sixty five pounds. Uh, he's got really long arms. You know, you look at his wingspan, really, really impressive physical specimen. Um, now, I remember early in his career, uh, Ross Tucker, who's the uh, the color commentator for the Eagles preseason broadcast, uh, he's very tied into that Penn State program. He told me, that, you know, this kid after his freshman year, like, I feel like he could be a first-round pick. And so he's kind of been on my radar for the last couple of years. Um, but you see the tools, you know, the size, the length, uh, as I mentioned, but his ability to come off the ball, the flashes are really, really good. I think what you've always kind of wondered is, all right, like, can he just be a little bit more consistent? You know, can he get a little bit more, uh, a little bit more consistent with his hands? Uh, you know, you see the flashes, but that, that's the thing that that wows me though is that while he has not been consistent and he's still figuring things out, I mean, Sheila, you mentioned it, he's been really productive. So despite the fact that he's not a finished product, he still has been able to put up 
big-time numbers in a conference where that has always had solid offensive lines and, uh, you know, it's still kind of – you see those throwback run, running teams. So, you know, he's still been able to put up sack production and TFL production despite the fact that he's not playing really in a passing league. And I, I think when you look at Gross Matos, the arrows pointing up. Uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard about the, the background of this kid and, you know, just the adversity that he's had to overcome with – Two very two deaths in his family, you know, with his brother and uh, with his father as well. I think you talk about uh, a guy who's overcome a lot in his life, but um, you know the physical tools are there. Everything you hear is that, is that he's a good kid. Um, to me, like the arrows pointing up on what Gross Matos can be, he's just not a finished product at this point. But this isn't a guy who had seven career sacks. He's been able to put up big time numbers at a big program. Now, for everyone uh, listening, they are home right now and they're. You know, they, they might have a water bottle with them. They might have what Bo's drinking, the seltzer water. Um, there's a lot of different options. It's, I have an option though for you. It's important to stay hydrated. Did you know that 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated? We are suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus. It does not have to be this way. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. They help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists uh, uh, to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet. For a 30-day supply, you can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 20% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BIRDS at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BIRDS for 20% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BIRDS. Uh, so moving back on to the draft here. friend. this isn't necessarily convincing me. It's more convincing my... Uh, colleagues here who are not as into the concept of these hybrid positionless players. They prefer that everyone gets a label and gets, and that <laughs> label gets stuck with them wherever they go for life, that you only play one position, that you have to fill the same role every single game. Um, so Isaiah Simmons and, and let's expand it beyond Isaiah Simmons. Uh, we're, let's talk about Jeremy Chin, and and we go on down the list of players who Nicola Roby Coleman, <laughs> who and, who, uh, uh, who 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 might not Kyle fit Duggar. that one position. Tanner Muse, perhaps. Um, what do you think of Isaiah Simmons, and and also the concept of the hybrid position? Well, I, I think player? that you know, and so much has been made about the term positionless player, and. Look, this is this is life in the NFL now. Uh, we can we can poke and make fun at uh, some of these guys, but the fact of the matter, like T- Tyron Matthew, the Honey Badger, is a positionless player, and right? he lines up all over the field and, and it makes a ton of plays. Uh, Thomas Davis, you know, coming out of Georgia, you know, two decades ago, uh, it feels like, and he's still playing now. Um, you know, down for uh, for the Washington team. I think you look at. Uh, 
Yeah, but these guys have positions. They well, play that's, positions. That's the they, yes. they're, they're, they're like a they're like a position full player. They well, play multiple you, you positions. Hate, you would just hate the term, um, but I, I think when yeah, well, I think term. when you look at it uh, in terms of just how the, these guys are used in today's game, you, know, you look at Debo Samuel and say, all right, well, yeah, he's a wide receiver, but he's he lines up all at all three receiver positions. He lines up in the backfield. He lines up in the wing. Uh, he takes handoffs. He takes uh, you know jet sweeps. He's used in all these different ways. So whether you're talking about guys on offense, whether you're talking about guys that play in the back seven, or even along the defensive line, uh, you know that's where the, this term, the positionless player, kind of comes in. That being said, for as many of these guys that do hit. We do see plenty of guys that, that don't quite reach that, right? Like we talked about Miles Jack a couple of years ago. That, oh, he, he's going to line up in the slot. He can line up at safety. He can line up at running back. He can do all these different things. Shaq Thompson was that way coming out of Washington. Uh, and he hasn't really quite hit his stride. I think he's start, he's getting a little bit better, but still was not exactly to what they expected he would be, uh, coming out of the University of Washington as a first round pick. So, you know, there are certainly cases where you look back and say, all right, well, uh, you know, buyer beware, but, Ultimately, you look at a guy like Isaiah Simmons, you look at a guy like Jeremy Chin, yes, you do still need to find, okay, what, when we line up in our base defense, is this guy a safety? Is he our weak side linebacker? Is he our strong side linebacker? Is he a slot? You know, what, what is he in our base defense? But the, the beauty of it is, and today when you're talking about no huddle offenses and, you know, the tempo and things like that, as a defense, you'd love to be able to say, all right, we're going to, we're going to, whatever you want to throw at us offense, like, We've got the ability to match up, and that's why when you have a guy like Isaiah Simmons, he gives you that versatility to be able to say, okay, if you want to put him on a tight end, if you want to be able to put him on a wide receiver. Uh, I mean, Bo, who was the uh, who was that the the short receiver that came out of Wake Forest last year? Um, oh, 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 Greg Dorch, yeah, Greg, Greg Dorch. Dorch. So Greg Dorch, I talked to him at the combine last year. So we're talking February uh, of 2019. What and, a pleasure, you know. And he told, I said, who's the toughest guy you faced last year? And he said, Isaiah Simmons. And I'm like, well, you're like 5'8", 170 pounds. He's 6'4", 230. And he said, <laughs> yeah, he's got the, he had the, the quickness to be able to match up with me and play me, uh, you know, up and down the field and sideline to sideline. Like, and so when you're talking about a guy that has that kind of athleticism, um, and then also on top of that, the, the range to be able to play from the post and, uh, you know, the ability to, you know, to be used as a blitzer and play down in the box. I mean, that's going to get a, get a lot of people's attention. Uh, but now it does ultimately come down to, how are you going to be used? Because not every scheme is built to handle a player like that. You can't just have one guy who's a quote-unquote positionless player. You need everybody to be versatile. Mm. And that's why, you know, we talk about that all the time, um, you know, with that, Cle- in regards to that Clemson defense. You know, everything is always all, all about Isaiah Simmons and all the, you know, the versatility that he showed. But you have a guy, you know, uh, Zach, you brought him up, and Tanner Muse, who was used in a lot of different ways. Kayvon Wallace, the other safety, used in a lot of different ways. So you need all those guys to be able to be, able to be versatile in order for it to truly work. But when you have all of those versatile pieces, now you've got to be able to, the ability to be able to match up in a lot of different ways to whatever the offense is throwing your direction. That would have been great if, uh, if Dorch was just like, yeah, Simmons, he, he just like knocked me over at the line of scrimmage every, uh, I couldn't even run my routes. <laughs> I think my hypothesis is that there is there is a disconnect between uh, front office and coaching staff on the value of a positionless player. Like I, I think that uh, front office sees like you know their eyes get wide and they're like, oh, this guy can do all these different things. He could fill all these different holes at once. And the coaching staff is more often like, you know, I gotta I gotta put this whole game plan together. I can't be worried about having extra time in my week to figure out the different ways this guy is going to 
play this week. I have to put him in a position and keep him in that position. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't tested that hypothesis, but that's just, uh, you know, see, that's well, I always see it going the other way too. I was reading a a story over the weekend uh, in a paper down in South Carolina, the state, where the uh, wait, what? I'm sorry, what were you reading? I was. It was. It was the state. Is it's, it's the big newspaper in South Carolina. It was. It was a. It was a story. How many what? newspapers? Why is, is this like? Well, no. It, is this let like, me finish. Uh, let me finish this, wait, the story. Okay? My, my my. I think that this is Zach's version of like stress shopping, like. The the quarantine has got him in a in a place where he is he is like a volume buying subscriptions to every newspaper no. in the country and it's like this is his fix he's trying to read no. as and much well, news as and Isaiah's story came up on my feed he's and Isaiah's story came up in my feed and I clicked okay. on it it's from the state in South Carolina and they were quoting a a college football analyst who was saying that he doesn't know where Simmons fits in the NFL. And the analyst said he's spoken the scouts who said that I'm, I'm right there with you. And I'm, I'm reading it thinking like if, if you're not creative enough to figure out how to, how to play this guy, then that's the problem. The, the problem is not the player. The problem is either the scheme or the coaches, however you want to phrase it. Like, like give me a, a, a talented, fast football player and figure out how to use them. That's, that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah, but did you see Dave Gettleman's home office setup? You think these are the best and the brightest in trying to figure out how to, how to, how to get these guys to succeed? Uh, no comment. No comment. Uh, well, well, I, 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 I do, uh, I do kind of agree with what uh, Bo was saying there in terms of like I, I feel like every prospect who gets listed as versatile, you should have to write down what the different things are he does and write down like above average, competent, or below average. You know, because like. Let's okay. say, you know, like, let's say the guy is, uh, you know, above average at this, but he still gets listed as he can do, um, I don't know, whatever you want to say. Let, let's say it's a, a linebacker and you say, all right, he can still keep up with tight ends, but he's like below average to competent. Well, the versatility doesn't really help you out when he's on the field and you're going up against a smart offense and they say, all right, let's get our tight end matched up against this guy. And they're just like attacking him every play. So, um, you know, again, it has to be to me, all right, what are the things? Can he do three things at like an above average level? Then, all right, that qualifies as versatile. But if it's just like, all right, he can kind of do this, but he's not that great at it, then I, I feel like it gets overused a little bit. I also sort of think it's easy, like the positionless thing is is easier to put into effect on offense uh, than it is on defense. Like on defense, everybody still has a responsibility. Oh, I actually right? disagree like, with you. Yeah, if you've got, if you've got it, I'm sorry. Go on. Uh-oh. Because on <laughs> crane of my existence. Uh, because man. on on defense, you can line up however you want. You you don't you don't have five offensive linemen, one core. You know, on on offense, you you really only have five guys you can mix and match. You know, you have five skill guys. You can mix and match. You're going to have five offensive linemen and a quarterback on, on every play. On defense, you can have so many different fronts. You can, uh, you, you can mix That's things true. up so much. So like Fran was saying, you can have a guy go up and, and blitz on, on one down, play the slot the next down, uh, play deep the next down, you know, play middle of the field. And so, so there's, there's so many different ways you can use. In in theory, all eleven players are are kind of variables on defense, whereas on offense, only five are. 
uh, and maybe six if if you're kind of in, in, including the quarterback in there. Okay, uh, that was a, that was a good that was a good job convincing. I'm willing to buy that. Uh, okay, here, Fran. Here's my next question on uh, on Crane of my existence. This is less about a specific player uh, and more about the idea. I want you to sell me on the idea that um, anyone should have confidence in being able to identify the best prospect of the second tier corners in this draft. So after C.J. Henderson, the whole group of you know Jalen Johnson, Jeff Gladney. Uh, Christian Fulton, AJ Terrell, Stefan Diggs, no, all those guys. Completely disrespectful. Uh, the idea I mean, that the like, guy, uh, yeah, well, Trayvon well, Diggs, well that's Trayvon good Diggs, because I, I, my next one was going to be sell these uh, fools on uh, Trayvon Diggs, so you could do that while you're at it. I, as I wrote, I like Trayvon Diggs the best of those guys, but I'm just, I, I, I don't know, I, I don't have any confidence in an answer. So sell me on the on that idea, and also maybe like break down like the the differences like schematically about sure. what those guys so, bring to, uh, the to table. me. I think when you look at the cornerback spot, it's it goes back to that conversation we had about the receivers, right? So it's it's very very unlikely that any team is going to look at Trayvon Diggs, Jeff Gladney, Jalen Johnson, Christian Fulton, AJ Terrell, Cam Dantzler. We'll say Damon Arnett, right? Throw that group of six guys in there and say, "Yep, all right, that's yeah. seven guys." That's like but there's no way that one team is going to look at them and say, "Yep, all these guys fit us." All the, all these guys are going to fit for us. So you're automatically mm-hmm. cutting that group in half. So, you know, the, uh, for, you know, Seattle's not drafting Jeff Gladney because his arms are, you know, shorter than 32 inches. Uh, right. but Trayvon Diggs is right up the rally. Jalen, they're not taking Jalen Johnson, but, uh, you know, they're going to be in on, uh, you know, the Damon Arnett, you know, whatever. You kind of look at it in terms of the, you know, scheme fit. So that, the, but that's why those things are built into place, though, is, uh, you know, from a body type standpoint, personality standpoint, culture standpoint, all that stuff is meant so they whittle down the draft class so that now you can say, okay, these are, this is a specific type of player that fits what we do. So that makes it a little bit easier for each team. And then on top of that, look, that's what things like the combine and these, the private visits and things like that are for. It's meant to be tiebreakers. You know, uh, Daniel Jeremiah says it, uh, you know, uh, Shield's best friend says it all the time over on the uh, Move the Sticks <laughs> podcast is that, uh, you know, that it's all about the cluster busters, right? It's about, okay, we have these three guys together. Uh, we got to see them up close, you know, at the senior bowl or we got to meet with them all at the combine. How do we stack them, guys? Or you go to the position coach and say, all right, coach, you know, stack these guys for us. And you try and get as many opinions as possible on all of those players. You get all that information. And at the end of the day, you say, all right, look, the, the, the majority of our, of our staff feels more comfortable with player A over player B or player D over player C. All right, that's the direction that we're going. And so to me, um, you know, that, that's how those conversations happen. And that's what the last, uh, few weeks have really honestly have been as teams just kind of go position by position. They might look at that second tier of corners and say, all right, you know, we've got a handful of guys that we have grouped together. Let's, let's stack them. Let's figure out how we see them. And if we do truly feel that, you know, we're good with any of them, great. Now, now if we get into that, into that position, uh, you know, if there's a trade down scenario or whatever, uh, you've got that ability to feel comfortable uh, to be versatile in in that scenario. But um, to me, that's how those decisions are made. And I think when you look at all those corners, uh, they can do a lot of different things for you. And you know, it's, whether it's uh, Jeff Gladney, you know, this guy can play man, he can play zone, he can play inside, he can play outside. Uh, super competitive, very experienced, very productive. Um, you know, he's a little bit on the smaller side. He's just a shade over five foot ten. But uh, you know, this is a guy that is not going to back down from anybody. And I love watching this kid play. You look at Trayvon Diggs. 
You know, he's built much differently at 6'1", 205 with uh, outstanding wingspan. Some people feel he could be a safety down the road, but this is a guy who's only been playing in the secondary for a couple of years. He arrived there as a wide receiver, just like his brother, uh, made the switch over to corner, didn't, you know, make any bones about it, didn't, uh, you know, didn't sweat it, didn't try and transfer, uh, said, all right, yeah, I'm ready to go. And he looks like uh, Xavier Rhodes in his prime coming out of Florida State. I mean, just the way that he plays is really, really impressive. He's got outstanding length and his ball skills are really, really fun. So, you know, you look at all these guys, all of them have differing skill sets. Uh, like I mentioned, that not every team is going to view them differently. Some guys just flat out aren't going to be a fit for what some teams do, but uh, they're all going to find homes. And to me, and now it's about figuring out, all right, what can the guy, what can the guy do, and how can he help each team? There you go. You guys convinced convinced about uh, Trayvon Diggs yet? Or uh, you got Z- anything else Xavier to add? Xavier Rhodes in his boy? prime. Did you hear that? I uh, I liked what I heard there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I don't. I, no. uh, I've got. Go, if you've got, no, if you don't I mean, have yeah. How much longer are you keeping friend? This is, you know, I've got to ask. Are we almost done yet? I know. I, I feel like we got another. I, 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 like I know. Fran likes when I, I do very trying much to get enjoy the, that. So uh, you know, this, I'm not forcing this. This is natural. Like, all right, it's been a while. Fran says hard well, out at uh, nine twenty. You so. got to bump that bad boy up a little bit. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, where, my heart out. <laughs> It's eight fifty four for our listeners. Eight fifty seven. Go ahead. Uh, I, I have one on okay. uh, on Grant Delpit, uh, who I think uh, Sheila and I sort of liked, according to our rankings today. But sell me on the idea that uh, Grant Delpit can overcome his tackling issues. As yeah, a deep I think safety. when you look at guys that you know that miss tackles at the safety spot for some teams, for some coaches. They will flat out cross that guy off the board and say, this guy cannot play for us. Um, but then when you, now you have to look at it and you say, all right, well, what are the issues with him as a tackler? You know, is it a toughness issue? Is it an angles issue? He t- doesn't take good angles, uh, coming from depth and, you know, he's unable to be able to make the stop. Is it play strength? Does he just need to get a little bit bigger and, you know, spend another year in the weight room and, and get a little bit better from that standpoint? Is it a uh, tackling technique issue? So I think when you look at Grant Delpit, some coaches are going to say, and you honestly don't really know until you get a sit, you know, if it's a toughness issue, for the most part, unless you start to do the background work. So you're going to rely on your area scouts for that. But when you look at Grant Delpit, like one name I wrote down, and I was very, very high on Eddie Jackson coming out of Alabama. Um, you know, to me, I, I loved everything that he brought to the table. I look at Grant Delpit and think that he could be that kind of Can't pro confirm. bowl talent uh, on the back end. But this is a guy who's got a little bit more even versatility. Now, Eddie Jackson was a converted corner. I think if you look at Grant Delpit, his ability to come down and play in the slot, uh, he's a great blitzer. He could play on the back end, single high, two high, a lot of, do a lot of different things from depth. He's got outstanding range. Um, I, I like Grant Delpit. I, I, to me, like this is a guy that, you know, at one point, I thought it was, oh, yeah, he's probably maybe a little bit overrated because he was in like the top 10, top 8, top 5 of every mock draft back in the spring and the summer and the early fall. So I don't know if he's quite there. But then you start seeing now it's like, oh, yeah, he's going in at 52 or he's going, you know, early second round. It's like, man, like someone's going to get a good player if, if, that's, where, if that's where he ends up going. But uh, to me, I look at Grant Delpit and say, yeah, like he's built for today's game. Now the tackling does need to get better. If he, if he was a good tackler, we're talking about him in the top 10, but since he, there are questions there, uh, and again, you're also talking about a guy who dealt with an ankle that he played through it, didn't miss a game um, this year, but played through the ankle injury uh, and still, again, showed that sideline-to-sideline range. Um, I look at Grant Delpin and say that this is a guy that's got the skill set that's built for today's game at the safety spot. 
And so in in those situations, though, I'm 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 curious as an as an analyst, Fran, like when you have because uh, in the NBA they always say like leave as early as you can because more information can hurt the player. Like Grant Delpit in 2018 was outstanding. Yeah, I mean he was a consensus All American. What he had five interceptions that year, um, and uh, and it was a little different this year. You, you've seen that with some of the receiver prospects too. You saw that. With Chenault, for instance, where the 2018 film is better than the 2019 film. Um, how do you kind of reconcile that? Do you look at the peak performance or are you looking at, at, at what happened the, the latest? What's uh, what's kind of the path there? You know, ideally, I've watched the guy for a couple of years, so I'm able to kind of fully contextualize it. Delpit was one of those guys that I did watch over the summer, so I do have a memory of what I saw from him in 2018 so that's still there and it's still part of the way that I feel he could be projected if I only watch 2019 I might feel a little bit differently um, but having watched him in 2018 and seeing him at his peak and you know as a sophomore uh, I do get still get that and I wrote down Eddie Jackson in the, in the summer w- watching him after that sophomore season so you know to your point certainly that's where he played his best football uh, but again the, the other thing too with this guy's He's another young guy. I mean, he's one of the younger players in this draft. Um, you know, I remember talking with some guys at the combine last year. I talked with Greedy Williams about him. Uh, I talked with his teammate, John Battle, about him. And they both told me, like, when he first got there, he was so versatile and he was still trying to figure it out, right? As a true freshman, was still trying to figure it out. And then he was still figuring it out halfway through that sophomore year when he was so productive and he was so dynamic, was still trying to figure out exactly how good he could be. Uh, but when you look at Delpit, to me, like high, high ceiling, and you just get, if you can get that, if you can get the tackling kind of situated to the point where it's not that he's a liability, you're going to have a long time starter, you know, that can play in the slot, can play in the post, and do a lot of different things for you on the back. You know, end. I just texted uh, Coach Flynn as we were talking because I, I you know, in my head, I kind of thought, all right, the tackling issue is sort of like, uh, you know, could be a little bit like the drops issue, you know, uh, we were talking about on the other side of the ball. And so I asked him, what do you think it's easier for a college prospect uh, to get better at in the NFL? And and he made the good point that it would be catching because tackling, you're, you know, you're not just, you're not going to be getting reps like tackling a lot. You know, you, you're not like doing that live. You're, you can't be doing that uh, a thousand times a day, whether people believe in the jugs machine or not. But uh, I think that, I think that makes sense. I, I liked Delpit uh, a lot too. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a, it's another thing. Like we, I can't believe you went side text with coach. You think I only include you on all those. You did side text with a friend. I hope so. Yeah, I, I, listen, <laughs> Coach true. Flynn and I had a relationship a long time ago, Bo. You know, we, we weren't even coworkers before. I'm, I'm feeling. L- I'm listen, feeling a he, uh, you all. know, I know. I gotta, I gotta start yeah, my own side yeah. text. Uh, with Coach Flynn. I mean, how else would I, I when I need to like say something about you? I'm not going to include you <laughs> on the uh, on the text there, but. It, it, <laughs> I feel like I could use the you know, give me hard coaching. I think he could do that definitely. Uh, well, it is. It's sort of like the wide receivers are. Let's say a guy gets open a lot and he has drops. Are you willing to live with that? I almost feel like that's what it is with Delpit. Like his range, uh, being able to play like single high and you know cover the field. Like that is a unique trait that. There are, you know, guys who are very good tacklers who, you know, they're just not going to be able to get better at that. They're not going to have the the skill set to do that. So uh, it's it's another part of the conversation. What can you live with? What uh, what can't you live with? Yeah, I think that that's ultimately, you know, the the question you're going to ask with 
going back to what I said at the top, with all these guys, all these guys are going to have flaws. There's a reason why all these guys aren't top five picks. So, you know, it's a matter of like, all right, can we leverage his strengths and hide his weaknesses as best as possible? Or, or can we deal, live with those weaknesses, uh, you know, moving forward if we feel that they're not going to improve? And then this is just a quick uh, update I have to give Coach Flynn. When I, I told him I was live on the pod, he said, thank Zeberm for no cheap shot last episode when my name was brought up. Uh, to get respect, you have to give it. So it feels like that relationship, uh, that relationship oh, is really, yeah, on the, on on the, the upswing. upswing. Listen, yeah, it was, it's like tackling issues or drops. Sometimes the things seem like a lost cause, but you work on it a little bit. So you can, you know, arrow, you know, arrow respect up. for Coach Flint. Maybe both sides getting a little reflective with the, what the country's going <laughs> through, you know, now want to squash mm. some of their, uh, beefs. Fran, any, uh, any thoughts on kind of this evolving relationship between, uh, Zeberm and Coach Flint? I mean, it wouldn't shock me if Zeberm's got some side text going on with, uh, with Coach Flint <laughs> at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's, he's Zach is is asking Coach Flynn for any uh, you know high school football prospects in the area who he can get an get an oh, early beat that, on. That's, that's actually that a, good a good idea. relationship. Yeah, yeah. That, that is a good bond idea. over that. Yes. Speaking of what's going on oh, in the world God. right now, you, you guys might want to hang up now, Fran. Hang up. You, you guys see what, this Prescott thing? You up on this? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I Not saw your too. tweet can I, too. I, can I give a dramatic oh reading of his you got uh, notes? Friend here, you don't want to make you. We're in what an hour and a half in, and you got to do this. Friends, not on responsible for the things. No, that I'm saying you, I'm not saying says. that. I'm saying you're just wasting <laughs> wasting his time. Oh. Well, we've got another 17 minutes with the Duff Man, and this this reading of uh, Dax's right. tweet should All only right. take 15 minutes. I understand and accept that there are additional responsibilities and media scrutiny that come with being an NFL quarterback. But it is very frustrating and disappointing when people provide completely inaccurate information from anonymous sources, especially now. To set the record straight, I know that we all need to do our best to socially distance... And like everyone else, I am continuing to adjust to what that requires. But the truth is that I was with fewer than 10 people for a home dinner, not a party, on Friday night. I am very sensitive to the challenges we are all facing and making sure to support the first responders and medical personnel and everyone else putting in long hours we are all at a time where we need to keep educating ourselves about the importance of health and isolation during this pandemic and i will continue to make sure to do my part by following the guidelines until we are approved to start returning to normal activities that is the worst apology i've ever seen Oh, I thought you were going to compliment him. I, I, it sounds like he used fewer correctly there. I thought, yeah. I actually was. I actually was. I impressed thought that's that what he that was all about. Yeah, I thought, so that was I thought that's why we were going over the exercise. But this, like uh, this, like persecution right, complex about about having nine people over for dinner. This is insane. The flip side, though, is it's not. It's not about you. It's about the nine people you had over for dinner. Where are they going afterwards? Who are they hanging out with? Like. 
what is going on here? And then I also like the I also like the uh, it's not that the first responders and medical personnel are putting themselves and their, their lives at risk. It's that they're working long hours. Look, I mean, there's there's been there's been over twenty five thousand people who've died from this. There's 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 nearly six. No, I'm, I'm saying that like there's nearly <laughs> six hundred thousand cases. X million people are unemployed in the in the last few weeks. Like, why is there so much outrage about a party at Dak Prescott's house? Like, to me, what are you talking no, about? I, That's the whole point. All these people have died. You you can't. It's not just like oh well. Uh, as long as as long as uh, you know, I'm a young healthy I'm person. I'm not defending I don't need it. To really follow these rules. It's everybody. We're I, all in I this together. I agree and I I disagree with what happened. But I'm I'm just saying like, if you're taking to social media upset about Dak Prescott right now, I'm like. Uh. I am upset about Dak Prescott. I told you, eight, eight fifty-seven, friend. The heart, the yeah. heart out would have been, uh, would have been uh, m- much yeah, better. I have, no, uh, I've, right. I have no commentary on this. All right. I, do, I'm staying. Do you guys it. have? Oh my this gosh, idea shit. that having nine <laughs> random people over for dinner is not no, a big I, deal I, is ridiculous. I agree with you. I just there's just so many other places to like allocate your outrage. I I, I think right now, if that makes sense. Uh, listen, <laughs> okay. I got enough outrage okay. to go around. <laughs> uh, so, Fran, um, uh, Brock Rudder, what do you think? If you're asking me where he ranks on the uh, <laughs> on a certain scale, I don't know if I can provide that. Uh, when there was a little pause there, I was hoping so badly that Fran had just hung up. I did, I did yeah, leave. Yeah, I did yeah. leave to go get a that drink and come it. back. And I didn't miss anything. So. <laughs> oh, you are, yeah. See, he knows how to handle this podcast. All right. Do you guys have any That's any good. other prospects for Fran? Uh, give me. Is there anybody like Fran who just like you know is like is like your guy? Is there a uh, an owl you know who is like your I, I like this question this because I, I remember for though you know Fran has a strong track record. The two guys I remember, yeah, mm, the two. I mean, this is, this is just from you know whether it's uh, I don't remember if it was small talk before or after, but I remember he really liked Tredavious White when uh, you know I don't know remember seeing anyone else that year who had Tredavious White as the top corner. He's been amazing. And the other guy, uh, Tyler Boyd, I remember you really liked. Uh, Fran, and, and, and I right. can tell you That's from right. having to, uh, you know, watch some of the Bengals last year, Tyler Boyd is like outstanding. He, he's going to be awesome this year with, uh, with Joe Burrow. So, yeah, so I don't know if, if Fran has any guys like that that he's settled on yet this year. So, like, I feel like a lot of my guys that I'm, that I really like are kind of the chalk guys this year, right? Like, I, I love Justin Jefferson. Um, you know, I love everything he brings to the table. I agree with you guys. I love Clyde Edwards Hilaire. That's good to hear. Um, I, to me, like I, he's just he's built for today's game. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm very high on C.J. Henderson from Florida. Um, I have been since the summer. Really, really okay. loved everything uh, that I saw from him for the last two years. So I'm a big fan of C.J. Henderson. Um, just a di- he's a different kind of player from Tre'Davious White. Uh, a very, very different kind of player. But uh, the way that that guy moves is just, is just different. Um, Jordan Elliott from Missouri is a guy uh, that I feel like is a defensive tackle from Missouri. Is a guy I feel like I'm definitely a little bit higher on than than most people in the media for sure. Um, you know, I think that he's got the. And we talk about him all the time over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. I feel like he's got the ability to win in a lot of different ways. I've compared him in the past to like an Akeem Hicks uh, level of player mm-hmm. that I feel like he can be really, really disruptive. Um, so this would be a guy that I feel uh, I you know maybe maybe a little bit higher on than most. 
Very good. That's a good one. Give us the uh, the rundown of where our our listeners, if they are uh, naive, can can follow. So you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at fduffy3. Uh, obviously, everything over at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. You've got the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast uh, that I do every single week. The uh, Journey to the Draft podcast as well. Every uh, once a, once a week, every single week. Uh, you know, next week with the uh, with it being the week of the draft, uh, we're gonna have uh, Bo. I'm sure you missed this episode, but we'll have our our mock draft uh, extravaganza next Monday, where we go around the league mm. and talk with beat writers. That was such a pain to do. Do you remember how well, much yeah, of a pain so that because used to we, be? Now we used to, before we used to try and get all of those beat writers to come onto the show. Now we just we talk to them off air yeah. and then we bring their answers. So it's not a two and a half hour uh, Bo Wolf special. But now <laughs> I have one very I have one very oh, vivid memory of that, and it was um, it was the we had the 49ers.com beat writer on to uh, do their pick at like fourteen or whatever it was that year. And he had them taking uh, Doriel Green Beckham, and I remember being like, "This guy ruined our mock draft." Like, it was it was like he was just talking as like a fan, like this guy's this guy's huge, he can do everything, and I was like, "This guy's not going 14th. You ruined the draft." Whose guest was that though? That's the big question. Yeah, you need to do a better job scouting. That's a good question. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah uh, that's that, right. So we'll do that Monday. We've got, uh, you know, uh, your best friend, Greg Cosell, is joining us uh, Tuesday and Wednesday as well. So uh, really friend. excited for, for next week's coverage. And we'll be doing Eagles Draft Central uh, next week throughout the draft. So you can check us out over on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. What's it going to look gonna like? It's going to be a little bit different. Uh, I'll be doing uh, broadcasting from down in my basement, down in uh, down in the bunker. So um, you know, in the middle of uh, doing Welcome that, you know, getting life. that set set up, and you know what the backdrop's going to look like and things like that. But uh, yeah, it's it's going to be fun. It'll be different. It's once uh, you know we'll never do anything like this again. Knock on wood, hopefully. But yeah. uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be it's going to be cool. It'll be fun. We're going to try and make it fun. Are you going to do the Easter outfit? You know, C-Mac called me out and said that I, I was going to. I'm going to, to not do that, though. I will try and uh, and keep it fully classy. Now, day three, no promises. I can't say I'm not going to wear the Papa Bear slippers on Saturday, but we'll see. I did that once. I believe it. I'm surprised it's not more than once. It was. I think it was... <laughs> I think it was if Brandon Boykin gets it, it was like if the Eagles take Brandon Boykin in the fourth round, I'll do it. I'll do a segment uh, with no pants. <laughs> and they did, yeah. and that happened. You know, I, I was going to ask for Fran's yeah. stories from working with Bo, but it seemed like yeah, I didn't really need to egg him on there. That that's the that seemed like a pretty good encapsulation of it. I've got I've got too many. There's, there's too many. We could do an, another uh, another episode on just that. <laughs> I can't really fill in the blanks between no. uh, the athletic yeah, and, right? and PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Nobody apparently mm. can, but um, <laughs> but yeah. No, no, that's right. Uh, all right. Well, uh, I guess that'll do it for this episode of Birds with Friends. Uh, Sheil and Zach, you have been called to account as to uh, not telling our listeners that you love them. Oh, right. This was from uh, listener Brian Solomon, right? He wanted he, he made the donation. That's right. Okay. He so donated. You, wa- you want me to do the sign-off yeah. for for this? I have to say it. Yeah, let them know we'll be back. I think on Friday to talk oh. some more draft, but uh, you can you can do the sign off. I mean, and let, let they them know can hear you, so they just heard you uh, heard you say that. But uh, okay, we'll be back Friday to uh, <laughs> talk more about the draft. Uh, please, uh, you know, rate, review, do all those things. Check out all of Fran's wonderful content. Thank you to Fran for joining us today, and for uh, Zach Berman and Bo Wolf. It's going to be really hard. You know, Kapadias didn't really say I love you to each other growing up, but that's a topic for another episode. Uh, as always, we love you. Bye.